This is the Michael Lated Show, episode 38. Very special guest, not in the studio today, but we have a Zoom meeting to Los Angeles, ladies and gentlemen, and it's Kevin Nahai is in the house. <laughs> Dance. <laughs> there. And we're live. Kevin, how are you doing over there? I'm excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Hello and uh, hello from sunny Los Angeles. Ooh, so sunny. How's, how's the brutal Canadian winter treating you? It's beautiful. We have about 10 centimeters of snow. This is just like this much already. Oh my God. Yeah, came last week. I just had the winter tires on. Do you know what winter tires are? Are those chains? Uh, chains? Almost, almost. But the rubber is differently in the profile. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. If you have like a rear wheel drive, you would have to put on chains. Okay. Yeah. Because rear wheel drive here would be tough. Very tough. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been in California my whole life. So the only time mm. I've seen snow is when I've gone skiing. Oh, where did, where did you, you know? go for skiing? Utah. Mm. Um, I've never, I've never actually been to Canada, wow. but I've always wanted to because I always say that Canadians are by far the nicest people on earth. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> you're, you're German, technically, so it doesn't count for you, I suppose. <laughs> mm, you have a point, but I consider myself Canadian now. Okay. And yeah. you're extremely nice. So. Yeah. It's like, it's you, you see this over there? Yes. <laughs> you're fully assimilated now. Yeah. Once you have the flag in your bedroom, that means... Uh, That's it. Yeah. Exactly. Germany doesn't accept dual citizenship when I got my Canadian citizenship. Mm. So it was either way I would be... Canadian or German. German. And then I said, wow. I, I want to be Canadian. Wow. Mm. Crazy. Well, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So What's do you, going on? Do you, How do, are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing, I'm doing really good. It's been a super busy day. Kids have been running around everywhere. Now they're in bed. So that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what about you? Did you go uh, suntanning today? Uh, I did not go suntanning today. <laughs> Finally, in Los Angeles, the weather is starting to cool down. Ooh, what does that the mean? Summer literally went from like March until November this year. Wow. Um, so it's been incredibly hot. But towards the end of October, beginning of November, it just started cooling down a little bit. So mm. I'm now enjoying the closest thing to winter that we'll have. Yeah. Which is nice. It's nice, yes, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's nothing compared to a Canadian winter. I'm always fascinated by that when you have no seasons, really. Like it's just nice. There are no seasons, man. Mm. It's really, it's very bizarre. So your wardrobe is just very limited. Then you just shorts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could get by in just shorts, yes. but but I mean, in the summer it gets really hot. Like over the summer, it was 110, wow. 112. Yeah. for a couple of weeks mm. so and there yeah. seems to be lots of wildfires lately too right yeah california has been on fire mm. the entire from you know top to bottom unfortunately yes um and the entire state of california is just in a major economic deficit major homelessness crisis mm. you know, this uh I, I like i said i was born and raised in los angeles and this place is not what it what it once was wow uh, it's really crazy to live here now. It's expensive. It's dangerous. There's a lot of crime. Mm. It's dirty. Yeah. You know, used to be beautiful, sunny LA that was like paradise and 
Hollywood and everybody would come here to see Venice beach and Santa Monica. And yeah. now those places are really run down. Mm. You know, it's pretty crazy. What it's do pretty you- crazy that the nosedive that has happened in LA and, and California over the course of the past five to 10 years, five to 10 years. Okay. What, what, what do you think? Why did this happen? Poor governing. Okay. Mm. I mean, you know, if you're going to be homeless anywhere, you should be homeless in LA mm. because the weather conditions are tolerable at yeah. night. Yes. Um, plus we allow homelessness here. We don't have any anti-homelessness laws. Okay. That's good. Um, you know, well, it's good and it's bad, mm. you know, it's good for them. It's bad for crime. It's bad for people who are mentally ill, who are drug addicted because then they just, we just allow them to sit and fester on the streets mm. you know, and, and we don't actually help them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just been poor, poor governing from the council level to the mayor level to, mm. you know, the, uh, Congress, the state, con- state assembly level to the governor, mm. uh, you know, we were once the, uh, 10th largest economy in the world was the state of California. Wow. And now we have like a, I don't know, $400 billion deficit mm. or something mm. crazy like that. Were you you were you in Los Angeles then when Arnold was the governor? I was. Yeah. yeah, I've been here my whole life. How did you like him to be as a governor? I was young. Um, I think so. Viragosa was the mayor when I was uh, in 2008. I think that's when Arnold was the governor. I was like 14 or 15 years old. Mm. Um, so I don't remember. Um, I'm a Democrat. He was a Republican. I think that. He was generally regarded as a pretty good governor. He mm. did a pretty good job. Um, I'm sure that some staunch Democrats right now are pulling their hair out hearing me say that. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't very pol- politically aware or active, you know, at that age. So I don't remember too much. I'm not even very politically aware or active now. Mm. Uh, I know as much as the next person, but, you know, I'm I'm all about mental health and reducing stress. And I find that American politics is one of the most divisive anxiety inducing stressful topics that anybody could ever talk about. Yeah. So when I say that I don't really care about politics or, you know, I don't, I don't talk about it too much. It's not because I don't care about the future of our city or our country. Yeah. It's just because I would rather focus on what I can control Mm. and, if I can remove unnecessary stress and anxiety uh, by avoiding talking about certain things, then I would probably prefer to do that. 100%. Yeah. You have to find a way where you can find balance. Yeah. You, what do you guys, what do you think of uh, Justin Trudeau over there? Um, He's in charge. (laughs) You like him? You hate him? Yeah. I think (sighs) I'm not the person to judge him. So Why is that? for me, what what right now is going on, it's everything is okay. I find the the whole situation with COVID and how the government has reacted in Canada and then also the provincial government, I think they all have pulled together. And, you know, as a country right now, I think it's very important in a pandemic to to stay together and, you know, and to 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 see the value in each other. Yeah, we've done the complete opposite in the States. 
literally the complete opposite. 50%, you know, are saying that COVID is not a big deal and our freedoms are being trampled upon and, you know, that yeah. this whole thing is a hoax. The other 50% are COVID crazy where mm. they won't even leave their houses and they think that if you go to a restaurant, you're a terrible person and yeah. the politicians are gnawing at each other and the unfortunately, the last thing we've done is band together and unite as mm. a country. Um, it's very, very complicated right now. But I'm glad to hear that at least over there, people are more civilized. <laughs> yeah, I always try to see the greatness in each other. And in people, okay? When, I, when it's easy to judge people when you look at them, but I find what helps me is if I put myself in the shoes of other people. Right. Why is that person saying this? Or why is the person reacting that way? And then it helps me to see or understand more things and appreciate life as differently too. Right. Well, I think part of the part of the problem in 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 America that I'm describing, you know, this divisiveness is that in this country we have lost the ability to empathize and to put ourselves in other shoes. Mm. And we're incredibly bad at a very basic life skill, which is just listening, listening to the other person, mm. trying to understand why they have that perspective. And um, you know, there's an old quote that says that the mark of genius is the ability to entertain an idea without necessarily accepting it. Yeah. That means that, you know, you listen to somebody, you listen to an idea, mm -hmm. try it on for size, and then either you accept it or you don't. Mm -hmm. You can't even listen to the idea. If you can't even see how it might resonate with you, then, you know, you're, you're sort of, I mean, the arrogance of thinking, that you are right about every topic and everybody else is wrong. Mm. That if you voted for X person, that makes you a bad person. You know, the, the, the arrogance that, that you have to have to think that way is, is astonishing to me. Mm. And by the way, I used to be this way. I used to be incredibly self-righteous, especially when it came, you know, to political issues. Okay. And, you know, I used to think that, It was my way or the highway and I was so enlightened and mm. I had all of the answers and everybody else was wrong and everybody was a bad person if they didn't agree with my views and if they didn't do things the way that I do things. And when I think about my former self, you know, I, I cringe because now I try to be incredibly tolerant and open. I try to listen to all sides of the aisle before I decide which side I come down on. Yeah. You know? So what happened? What changed? I think I grew up. I think I matured. Mm. Um, and I also didn't like this quality about myself. I didn't like that I was intolerant to views that weren't necessarily my own. Mm. So I started forcing myself to listen to opposing views. Like if I had al always been listening to democratic podcasts, mm. I started forcing myself to listen to like the Ben Shapiro show. He's a Republic. He's a conservative pundit. Mm. It's, you know, I, and I started to think to myself, okay, well, what of this do I agree with? What of this do I not agree with? Mm. And where can I be in the middle? Yeah. Or, you know, if I had very strongly held views about sex or religion or, mental health or child rearing, mm. I would look up the people who had opposing views and I would listen to them. And again, I would ask myself, okay, what of this do I agree with? Mm. What of this 
am I totally opposed to and where can I come down on the middle? Yeah. And forcing myself to do that, first of all, made me more educated um, because, you know, it, it, it rid, rid me of some of the ignorance that I had about why other people hold these views. Um, and secondly, it made me more solid in my values because now I really knew why I believed something, mm. you know, if your parent, if you grow up with your parents instilling in s- certain views in you, sure, you know, and, and you, you never challenge them, then you don't really know why you believe them. Mm. You, you have to challenge them in order to know why they're valid and why you hold those views. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I've kind of, there must be a little bit more to the story, I think maybe because I, when you say you grew up, I think there must be more to just you getting older. There must be something else too, right? That like, maybe not, but I mean, like something must have else have happened <laughs> because, well, because not yeah. if, if like, let's say I would get older when I stay the same, I just do podcasts forever. Then I don't change. Right. right. People need to have the desire to change. Right. So, so some, there must have been a little bit more that you experienced. So I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah, of course. I mean, my, my story is that, as I mentioned a little bit, you know, when I was 19 years old, I was diagnosed with a chronic disease of the stomach. Okay. Um, and an incurable disease of the stomach. And, you know, it put me in the hospital for a long time. And then I became severely anorexic and I became depressed and I mm. suffered through crippling anxiety. And then throughout my 20s, I had a series of bad relationships and bad breakups. And, you know, so so everything that I experienced and overcome mm. challenged my original views. Mm. So, for example, when I was saddled with the chronic disease, it challenged my views on healthcare and physical health. Mm. And it pushed me to become a personal trainer and a nutritionist. When I dealt with anxiety and depression, it changed my views on mental health, on meditation, on therapy. When I went through a series of breakups and a series of bad relationships and a series of good relationships, it changed my views on what makes a good relationship, what makes a bad relationship, you know, what should the dynamic be between two partners? Mm. How do you handle breakups? So all of the the personal, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual challenges that I've had over, you know, the course of the last eight to 10 years have have shaped me um, in in a very profound way because they've been very profound challenges that, you know, honestly, I, I don't think any young man in his 20s should ever have to go through some of the things that I went through. Mm. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, it it sort of evolved my consciousness and, um, and, and made me grow and made me challenge my original beliefs and thoughts and views in a way that, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> sorry, that's my dog. Beautiful. And, um, I love dogs. <laughs> yeah, I got I got two of them. Nice. Got a yappy one over here. Uh, what what so, kind of breed? Um, this one is a half black Labrador, half Dachshund. Oh, nice. He looks like a little shrunken black lab. <laughs> really cute. Yeah, cool. 
So, um, but yeah, you know, one, one final point I was going to say, I hope that answers your question about, you know, why mm-hmm. was I challenged? I yeah, there's a, there's a bigger cost to it. Of course. Yeah. But, you know, one, one thing I was, I was going to say is, and, and I hope this is, this is a, you know, helpful sort of life lesson that I've learned. And, and I, I hope it resonates with you or your listeners is that when we go through very difficult things in life, whether you get fired from your job or you get a disease or you lose a loved one or you go through a divorce or whatever it might be, you know, these things that I went through, I, I spent a lot of years wondering why is this happening to me mm. and why am I going through this? And, you know, not feeling bad for myself or pitying myself or saying, you know, woe is me. But I spent, I spent a long time trying to figure out the answers to, you know, okay, well, well, what is this all about? Like, what is the purpose of my suffering mm. through X, Y, and Z things? Yeah. And people will always tell you, oh, you know, God works in mysterious ways, or they'll tell you everybody has bad luck, or, mm. you know, nobody knows the real reason why good people are made to suffer and so forth and so on. But I spent many years dissecting this and trying to get to the bottom of it. Mm. And what I've discovered is that in, in my view, okay. every difficult or bad or undesirable situation that we go through, every emotionally painful situation that we go through mm. is necessary for the evolution of our own consciousness. Mm. It's necessary for our own correction. It's essential for our own growth. Yeah. So if you, you know, if you go through a divorce or you lose your job or something terrible happens to you in your life and you're sitting there and you're wondering, God, I wish this never happened. Why did this happen? You know, what I've learned is that there's a part of you that needs to grow, that needs to heal, that needs to be corrected. And God or the universe or whatever you want to call it is forcing you to go through this pain mm. so that you can learn the lesson and come out on the other side stronger and more capable it's like a test yeah you know so is it would that be a mistake or a challenge how would you classify this or a tragedy like those events how would you classify those events in my own life or just in general yeah in your, yeah we can talk about you so let's is it would be would it be like because i want to put a spiel on the opportunity some people yeah. some people And it's very hard, actually. It's very, very hard. Life is life is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Life Nobody is. Nobody do that, by the way. Yeah, life is really complex, and there's a lot of things that can happen. And you know, there's good things, there's bad things. Our perception. And I'm wondering if you, how because you are a motivational speaker, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by this. And you, you, you obviously have gone through a lot of experience in overcoming um, big challenges, right? That's yes. that's speaking of the body, that's speaking of the mind, and then you also um, relationship, like 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 relationships. That means you coming. This is not anymore identified with yourself, but you working with somebody together, yes, as a unit. So that's like three steps. Very complex. How did you, how, why do you feel like you want to help people that way? Mm. Well, first of all, I'll answer your first question first. 
Yes. Which, which was, <laughs> is it an opportunity? Is it a tragedy? Is it a mistake? Is it a challenge? Yeah, how do you classify that? Well, depending on what happens, it could be all of those things. Okay. It, it can be simultaneously a tragedy and an opportunity and a challenge, you know, and a blessing. Very it true. can be all of those. Yes. Um, and so much of, so much of, of how it is depends on how we choose to see it, mm-hmm. how we choose to look at it. So at the beginning, when you're first going through something really difficult, let's say a breakup, for example, you get broken up with, you get dumped, you have to go through a divorce. At the beginning, you know, at first it seems like, um, at first it seems like a tragedy. You know, I'll never get through this. I'll never get over this. This is so horrible. You know, but then you sort of, as you go through the the stages of of grieving, mm. you know, then then you might start to see it as an opportunity. And then once you're out of the relationship, an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for betterment. And then once you're out of the relationship, you might see it as a blessing. You know, thank God I'm out of that relationship because it was so wrong for me. Mm. You know, but what I try to encourage people to do is not spend years and years looking at a certain situation as a tragedy. And, you know, they see, they say that time heals all wounds. Mm. And on the one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, how much time do you want to spend suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to wait three to five years for time for the hand of time to soothe your wound? Or do you want to try to challenge and change your perspective a little bit so that, you know, you, you feel a little bit better Mm. as you're going through the process. And so, the way that I look at these, the way that I look at these things is I look at them as a test, you know, a test of my willpower, a test of my discipline, mm. a test of the strength of my character, a test of my ability to stand strong and loving in the face of adversity, mm. you know, a test of my ability to overcome. So like a personal test. Yeah. Okay. Like a, a spiritual test, an emotional uh, test. Yes. You know? Mm. Um, and is this going to destroy me or am I, you know, am I going to crumble or am I going to stand tall and stay loving and stay present and not compromise my values, not compromise the, the man that I want to be because that way, you know, I, I will, if I look at it as a test, if I look at it as a challenge, I'm more motivated to get through it in a shorter period of time and not suffer as much as a result, right? Yeah. Because the reward on the other side is that I get closer to my ideal partner. I get closer to making money. I get closer to being a better person. Mm. You know, if you just say, oh, this is a tragedy and I'm a victim and you know, why did this happen? There's no result on the other side. So it's not worth it to go through the pain. Mm. You know, there's no motivation for you to, to come out any better. Sure. Sometimes it depends on the person. Some people are very good in letting go and working through, and then other people have. Would you say it's a fear? Yeah, I would say it's a fear, and it's an addiction. Okay. So, um, it's it's a fear in the sense that um, a lot of people are afraid. Their, their biggest fear is things being different than they are now. Mm-hmm. 
change? When I say it's an addiction, what I mean is that we get addicted to our problems because they are familiar. Okay. So if you've been in a terrible job that you hate for years and years, right? You would, human beings would always rather stick with what is familiar with what we understand mm. and what we know, even though it makes us miserable, then cut that cord and step into the un- unknown, okay. right? Step into a different job, change our career, take a completely different step. Mm. That's terrifying. We don't know what it's going to be like on the other side if we take that leap of faith and quit the job and pivot careers and so forth and so on. This is why people stay in terrible marriages for years and years, because we get addicted to the problem. Mm. We, we, we are afraid of change. We are afraid of the unknown. So we would rather stay comfortable in discomfort. Mm. That discomfort is at least familiar. Does that make sense? How did, how did you recognize that? Is that speaking from you, from your experience? It's speaking from my experience um, and it's speaking from the experience of coaching all of my clients, you mm. know, working. It's a universal experience. I'm willing to bet you, I don't know anything about you, but I'm willing to bet you that you have had a situation in your life that you should have cut off or left earlier mm. and you didn't because you were afraid and you didn't because it was familiar to you and you already understood it and you had already invested time in it. Mm. So you kind of got addicted to it until it was so bad that you were ready to leave. Mm. It could be. It could be. I find... A, a drug addict doesn't enjoy doing drugs at a certain point. For sure. When they first become addicted, they're like, oh, this is great, getting high and so forth and so on. A couple of years down the road, they hate injecting it. They hate th that feeling. But there's a reason it's called an addiction. You know, they, they need it. Mm. And they're afraid of going into sobriety. They're afraid of what their life is going to be like without this crutch, mm. or without this lifestyle that they've become so accustomed to. So it's an, an emotional addiction? It's an emotional addiction um, to, to familiarity the familiarity with our problems and it's a fear of things being different than what we already know than mm. what we already understand. Interesting. Even if you have a shitty situation in your life, at least you know what it is. At least you know how to deal with it. Mm. Whereas if you break off that shitty situation, next day you wake up, you're alone. Now you have to navigate a completely uncharted territory, completely uncharted course. Sure. That's, that's very scary. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy at all. Mm. It's not easy at all. Yeah. Ch change can be hard. Extremely. Yeah. Is, but necessary. Is change easy now for you? No. Okay. Not at all. Change oh. is not easy for me at all. I'm, I'm terrified of change, oh. which is why I stayed in relationships longer than I should have, stayed in jobs longer than I should have, mm. kept certain friendships longer than I should have. Because I suffered from the, the same experience. Yeah. You know, afraid of changing it, afraid of, of being on my own and sort of an, an emotional addiction to uh, whatever I was used to, you mm. know, even if it was bad. So I'm no different from anybody else. You know, change is difficult for me too. I think I've just learned how essential change is for our own growth and evolution. So now, 
I'm a little bit more able to embrace it. You know, now I see the value in it. Mm, the value. Okay. So you, you said you meditation, right? Yeah. And I, I'm sorry, you asked me a second question, which is why I'm motivated to help other people. Mm. I forgot to answer that question, but please proceed. Oh, you don't want to answer. <laughs> no, no, of course I can. I didn't mean to you yeah, let's go back to the meditation afterwards. I'll let you, okay. I'll let you answer first. <laughs> okay. Um, so why do, I, why do I do this? Why do I feel compelled to help other people? So from my perspective, this life we have, right? We, we can do a lot of things. We, we, co we coexist with everybody. There's a lot of people here, and we can be part of things. And um, as you said, growing older, you, I'm at the point in my life where I think I want to give back. It doesn't have to be monetary. It can be time, right? Serving on the board, doing whatever, just like working for the community, volunteering, whatever. So that's pretty much what I think you feel right now maybe or you always felt how old are you i'm 28 28 okay so uh, from my personal perspective being 28 and engaged with what you are that's very very early Thank you know you. i think that's a great perspective to have and i i'm always intrigued why people do things they do mm. especially when they are so positive And so mm. uh, helping other people. Mm. So what's, what's happening? Why, why, where is this coming from? Well, partially I was born with it. Um, mm. Since I was a baby, I was always fascinated by people. Okay. And why they do what they do and what their stories are and how I can help them and how I can be there for them. Uh, ever since I was in middle school, people always told me, oh, you got to become a therapist. You got to become a speaker. You got to write a book. Mm. And um, it's funny. I mean, I've been getting comments like that way before I ever entertained the idea of actually doing what I'm doing now. Okay. Um, and it, you know, I kind of made a circle. It took me many years of circumventing what I really wanted to do in my heart to actually come to this. Yeah. Even though since I was a kid, I, I always wanted to help people. I was always listening to them. I was always learning mm. their personal struggles and, and I was fascinated by it. Um, so you went to high school, right? I'm, I'm going to interrupt you there for a second. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And so you went to high school, you finished it. People were like, ooh, you are a people's person. I'm just... Oh, I was a baby, not, not even in high school. Yeah. Okay. People you... have been telling me that since I was like four years old. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's cool. I'm very, I'm very blessed. I always loved people and wanted to learn everything I could about them. Okay. And then... Once you finished high school, what did you think you want to do with your life? Um, I wanted to be a musician because I mm. started playing drums when I was seven. Wow. So my plan was always to be a professional drummer. Nice. I did play professionally for many years. Um, but, you know, then, as I said, I became a personal trainer and then I worked in hospitality. I worked in bars and restaurants and mm. then I worked government and you know i worked in the entertainment business the music business i did a bunch of different things for a whole bunch of years but in my heart what i'm doing now is is always what i wanted to do mm. but you know the 
the reason that I finally said, okay, enough with all of that nonsense. I'm actually going to bite the bullet and start my own business and start coaching people and start speaking and start writing. You know, the, the moment when I realized like, okay, this is, I've always wanted to do this. Now it's time to do it. Yeah. Is when I, when I realized that I have been through so many personal and emotional struggles throughout my twenties, as I said, facing demons that no young person in their twenties should ever have to face. Mm. Now I have an obligation to help people avoid the pitfalls and the mistakes that I made. Mm. You know, if people out there are struggling with an eating disorder or um, anorexia or anxiety or depression or bad relationships or total lack of direction, total, you know, lack of self-esteem. If, if any young person out there is struggling with these things, it's not that I want to help them. It's that I have to, Okay. like it became an obligation. Wow. It, it, it became uh, a compulsion yeah. you know, that, that I have to do this. So that's a very strong if feeling. I, if I don't do this, then everything that I went through is for nothing. Mm. You know, it's only for my own personal growth and personal development, but it's much more powerful for me to harness all of those terrible experiences, turn them into growth, and then be able to share that with people so that I can help them, you know, so that I can spare them years of, of misery. Mm. Now, there are some things, Michael, that you have to go through yes. by yourself and nobody can teach you. I believe that, actually. I believe that 100%. There are certain things that no matter how many times your mother tells you not to touch the stove, <laughs> you're going to have to touch it and get burned to see what it feels like. Yes. Total, totally granted. But there are other things that life is not a journey. Life is a process. Mm. And you should follow the advice of people who already went through that process. Yes. So that you don't make the mistakes they did. You know what I what resonates with me? Like there's one word in my mind when you say this. It's inspiration. Uh-huh. You know, you 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 inspire people and just that's what I think. For me, that's what resonates with me. Thank you. You know, I try. Be, because it's just like you I don't education, maybe, but one way I know how I learn is I'm really bad when people tell me what to do because I always ah. I always question things. I always try to see a bigger picture. But when I when I see a person that leads by example and it's just like gentle and not pushing but very inspirational, maybe a book or just like a conversation we have running right now. That's that's really where it clicks and then you You later you reflect on it and then you're like, ah, yes, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I try not to talk about things that I haven't overcome myself. Mm. So if, if somebody comes to me and they say, I had a million dollar business, I lost it. All my money went in the tank. Now I'm rebuilding my business and I want it to be a $10 million business. Mm. I'll tell them, bro, you got to go hire a business coach. Mm. I've never been through that. I don't know anything about making money. <laughs> I'm trying to do it myself, you know? Yeah. Like, that's not something 
I, I haven't gone through that challenge and I haven't overcome that challenge. So I can't lead by example, mm. you know, but the things that I have gone through, which are very, very common for, you know, people, men and women in their twenties and thirties yeah. have overcome that. I have actually learned, you know, how to deal with, then my, my hope is to be able to save people some time, you know, to give them some, some shortcuts. Yes. Um, and, you know, you, you, you said that, uh, said something interest, interesting, which is that you are really bad when people tell you what to do. And so, which is something that I hear a lot, mm. you know, nobody likes to be told what to do because it hurts their pride and because they question it and they think, well, who the hell are you? How are you going to tell me how to live my life? You know, and what's wrong with me that I need you to tell me how to live my life and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a, a really critical thing. And, and to that, I say two things. Mm. The first thing I say is that I can never tell you what to do. I'm not your mom, not your dad, not your wife. My job is not to tell you what, what to do. Mm. But what I can do is I can help you figure out what you want to do. I can hold a mirror up to you, mm. help you figure out what your intuition is telling you, and then encourage you to do what you believe is right in your own heart. Yes. Right? So I'm not here to, to prescribe a set of rules for you and say, do this, don't do that. Yeah. But I'm here to get you in touch with your own values and help you figure out what you want to do. Why do you think it's so hard for people to see themselves? Um, because they don't spend time with themselves because they don't know themselves. Why? They spend it's time just, just because it's like, it's, e is it easy? Like for, I have a Noah saying where it says it's easier on to look in the outside than into the inside. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So people aggregate a vast amount of information especially self-help information. You know, they go to therapists, they watch motivational videos, they read books, mm. they collect all of this data that is telling them how to live their lives and, you know, what they should do and what's wrong with them and stuff like that. But the last thing they do is actually look within, is actually look themselves in the mirror. Mm. They're distracting themselves with this wealth of information You know, and, and I always say, if you want to see, look around. But if you want to know, look inside. Mm. Want to know, look within. So, you know, I think that we're, you know, wh why don't people know themselves and, and why don't they see themselves in that way is that they don't spend any time doing it. We are drinking, we're smoking, we're having sex, we're partying, mm. you know, we're distracting ourselves from ourselves And then we have all these problems. So we read these books and watch videos and stuff like that. But we're still not taking a cold, hard look at ourselves in the mirror. Mm. We're still not getting in touch with our subconscious mind and what's really there. What do you think about this saying that I'm familiar with? And it goes, you might know, it's some people say that the outside world is your mirror that the things that you see and perceive are you. Do, you. do you relate with that? Or is it taking this too far? That the outside, I've never heard this before. This is really interesting. Mm. That the 
things that you see and perceive are a reflection of you. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I think that's true to a certain extent because there, there was a, there was a poet named Anais Nin who once said, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Yes. So true. Meaning everything (laughs) that we see, we sort of project our own beliefs, our own values, our own perception onto them. Yes. And then that totally colors and distorts the objective reality of that thing or that person or that situation. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the problem is if we're all doing that, then then is there any objective reality Mm. or is it all based on our perception? And that's a very sort of metaphysical concept to to, to delve into. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. For the individual, I think, to the standpoint to like identify yourself with that. To realize, hey, okay, you know, the outside is is me, maybe. Yeah, I, I like that to, saying. Wow. To a certain extent, I I think that's true. I, I think it's definitely true that we don't see things as they are; we see things as we are. Mm. Um, to to quote that poet. But one thing I think is definitely true, um, and I've noticed this in in my own life, mm. is that the partners we choose are not necessarily a reflection of us, but they're a reflection of the emotional quality of our lives. Okay. So what I mean is that if I am pretty emotionally damaged, Mm. then nine times out of 10, I will unwittingly subconsciously choose a partner who is a reflection of that and who makes my emotional damage worse because of their own problems. Right, I will choose somebody who exacerbates my emotional problems mm. because of their own emotional problems. So a lot of women come to me and they say, I keep going on these bad dates with guys who are douchebags and why can't I just find like a good guy? Mm. And I say, okay, the reason that these undesirable men keep appearing in your life is that the quality of man you will attract in your life is a direct reflection of the quality of the standard you set for yourself. Okay. So if you're emotionally damaged, it's very hard for you to set a high standard for yourself. Can right? You, can you define emotionally damaged for me? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Everybody's emotionally damaged. I'm not trying to be you know, judgmental. Mm. For example, if you believe that you are undeserving of love, or if you've had a lot of trauma, or if you, you know, have an arrogance complex or a victimhood complex or an entitlement complex, Mm. you know, or if you have a bad temper or just any sort of emotionally maladaptive, you know, abnormal way of responding to situations and events and people, if you're an emotionally damaged person, then you're going to attract people who reflect that, mm. you know? People who... Dog re- dates dog, cat dates cat. A yeah. level 10 person dates level 10 person, you know? Uh, okay. Really? You think that's true? <laughs> well, not 100% of the time. Yeah. I've been in relationships where, Attended. you know... What's that? Because I, those, are the, those are the movies, right? You know, you know, the guy dates a 10 or whatever, or the, the woman dates a 10. 
and yeah, they classify it, themselves as a, something lower. Yeah, look, I mean, well, the problem is that we all have a hyper inflated sense of what we are. You know, like if I'm actually a seven, I'm going to think that I'm a ten because of my own ego.、Mm. But just round it and, up, and that's one type of emotional damage. The other <laughs> type of emotional damage is that if you're a seven, you actually think you're a three. Yes. So the inability to see yourself for who you truly are and what you need to work on is, you know, is is a real issue. And and one thing I try to help people with is, you know, get them to understand that、mm. who they truly are. What their qualities are, what their weaknesses are, you know, give them a more objective perspective of of what's going on with them. But look, I've been in situations where I was the level three dating a girl who was a level ten.、Mm. I've been in situations where I was the level ten dating a girl who was a level three, and of course, it never it never works out when you guys are in completely different leagues like that. But I think that for our long term partners. The long-term partner you choose, if you ha- are in a happy, stable relationship, is a pretty close reflection of, you know, the league that you are in.、Mm. Like in your wife, for example, you have a good relationship. I assume, you know, don't you think that you guys are pretty equal? Not that you're similar or the same. Yeah, for me, you know, this comes down to, I I understand that there is、uh, a system. But、for me, I always try.、Hmm, how do I say this? I just always try to be neutral. I don't like、mm. to put people into、um, categories, right? And, you know, and because I, I think, I think that my. If you didn't think your wife was worthy of you, you wouldn't have married her. Um, I married her because、so, I love her. Yes. But part of the reason you love her is that you respect her and you see her as your equal. For sure, no, she's the way better half than me. <laughs> okay, so you even you see her as even better than you, which、oh. is a you know a, which is a good thing. It's it、yeah. means you're you know going to work hard for the relationship.、Mm. If you disrespected her or you looked down upon her, or you thought that she wasn't as good as as you are, or or she wasn't deserving of you, right? Then Then yeah, it's it's not nice to categorize people, but if that's how you thought of her, then you wouldn't have married her.、Mm. You know, so when you respect somebody as your equal, you see that they have qualities that reflect your own, and you see that the two of you are on equal footing.、Mm-hmm. So、yeah. you're essentially categorizing yourselves as worthy of the other person. I like that definition a little bit better. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Saying level three, level ten is a much more simplistic way of explaining it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't like that one. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I know, you know, this is how it goes. It's okay. When yeah, it's, it's、no. not the nicest. It's not the nicest way to explain it, you know. And I'm, I'm not trying to look. If I thought that people were level threes and they weren't capable of leveling up to other levels, you know, if, then I wouldn't be in the business that I'm in.、Mm. You know, which is People grow and become the best version of themselves. I think in、so. I think in your profession it really helps, especially if you use it as a tool to、um, use it as a motivation for people to see where they can go. And if you have to put a system into it, that's that's how it is, right? Yeah. Look, I don't I don't tell people right now you're a level three.、Mm. Like you, I, I never t- say that to somebody, right? 
but um but people say that a person can't change and that you know you are who you are and that your core qualities will never change and stuff like that and i have seen that to be disproven a hundred times yes a day okay because when we you know it's it's not that you are who you are it's you are what you do not for work but what you do on a daily basis Mm -hmm. you know so if you change the way you think if you change what you do every single day, yeah. if you change what you give to other people and you continue doing that on a continuous basis, day after day, year after year, yes, then you can change into anything you want. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing. I agree with that. Especially you know, that these success stories of people who go from being selfish users, stubborn, you know, assholes to people who become rich philanthropists, good relationships, people can make incredible personal transformations, Mm -hmm. but they do it by changing their thoughts, changing their behavior, changing the amount that they give and contribute to other people's lives. Yeah. You said you went through all those jobs, right? And the experience Mm -hmm. when you, what and when, Did you say, okay, this is it, I'm out. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, it was a couple of years ago when I graduated from graduate school Okay. at USC here in Los Angeles, nice. University of Southern California. Um, while I was in graduate school, I was becoming more and more frustrated with my job prospects and increasingly um, annoyed and upset and feeling like all these jobs that I was applying to, I was fitting a square peg into a round hole. Mm. And I started all of this by basically just making YouTube videos and talking about subjects that I was passionate about. Yeah. And I got such a great response from family and friends and people who were saying like, oh, finally, you're doing this. Like, <laughs> we've been waiting for you to do this for like 20 years, you know? You are late today. <laughs> late, yeah. <laughs> It's good. I wish I could earlier. Mm. Um, It's still early for you, 28. Still early, yeah. Yeah, Kevin, that's early. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But um, another one of the catalysts was that I went through this terrible relationship and subsequently a terrible breakup. Okay. And in that breakup, I just conducted myself so poorly. And I was just so embarrassed that I went through that relationship and so embarrassed that I went through that breakup. And then I was so embarrassed that it took me a year to get over it. Yeah. That, that it just made me say, okay, like my passion has always been personal development. Mm. I've already been working on this stuff in graduate school. I've already been, you know, getting my certifications and I've been blowing off these job applications that I don't want to go do those jobs. I already feel frustrated. Yes. And now I have this, this breakup on top of it. And, you know, I gotta like, that's it, man. Boom. Yeah. That's it. I'm never going through this shit again. Yes. Nice. Uh, And the best, the best way never to go through something again is if you have other people, to hold you accountable mm. 
So when I started people, when I started giving people advice about relationships and love and dating and stuff, now I could never go against my advice because it would make me the ultimate hypocrite. Yes. So now it was like, okay, I'm putting myself out there and now other people are counting on me to mm. lead by example. 100%. How do you how do you feel about this that you um you said advice, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or motivate, advice, life coach, something like that, right? Sure, all yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel about that when you when you do this to other people, with other people and you help them? How does that make you feel? I feel like the luckiest person in the world. Mm. I feel so grateful that I have the opportunity. Um, sometimes it's emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, I feel responsible. I feel like I have a responsibility to help people. And when I can't, it hurts me. Mm. Um, but I feel like the happiest, luckiest, most grateful guy you've ever met because I'm finally doing what I want to do. Yeah. I'm good at it. I know how to help people. Mm. Um, and there is nothing more incredible in life than when you discover your purpose. Mm. And your purpose does not have to be the same as your career. Okay. This is a really crucial distinction. You can have a career working at a bank from nine to five, pays your bills, puts food on the table for your family. Good for you. Mm. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is your purpose then? Maybe your purpose is being a father, going home or being a mother, going home and shaping the lives of your children. Mm -hmm. Maybe your purpose is something philanthropic or something charitable that you do. Maybe your purpose is the art that you create in your studio on the weekends, mm. right? So I define purpose as the vehicle that allows you to be fully immersed in the giving of your gift. Okay. So in order to have a purpose, you have to discover what your gift is, however large or small. Say that, right? one, more, say that one more time with the vehicle, please. So your, your purpose is whatever allows you to be immersed in the fullest giving of your gift. Okay. So if your purpose is to be a mother, then... Being a mother is the vehicle through which you give your gift, your gift of shaping your children's lives. Yeah. Your gift of caring for people other than you, mm. right? In my case, my purpose is helping people. So the way that I help them with their emotional problems is through our coaching, through our mentorship relationship, yes. you know? So your purpose doesn't have to be the same as your job, but the purpose of our lives I believe is to discover our gift and then give it away. Oh, and there's, there's nothing more incredible and liberating and life-changing than when you discover what that gift is and you start giving it away. Mm. Why do you say giving it away? Well, you don't have to give it away for free. You know, I don't do what I do for free. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. I'm just like you, I think when I when I I hear you say giving it away, it's almost like you would lose your gift. No, no, that's not what you mean, right? No, not at all. Yeah, it's just like I mean, gi gi giving it away. You mean helping other people with your life gift, your passion, what you love and exceed it. 
Yeah. So if you're, if your purpose is to create, if you're an artist, yeah. then the way that you give your gift away is not you give it up, but you, you, you give it through the art that you create and then you share that art with the world. Okay. You know? Yes. Ah, okay. And then you give it away because it's your art piece and the art piece goes into the house of the person or whatever. And then, yes. Exactly. Okay. And, and I also, this is just my personal belief, but you know, I, I don't believe that there's any purpose that is um, fully self-serving. So nobody has a purpose. Nobody's purpose in life is to make money. Nobody's purpose in life is to become extremely intelligent, right? Because those things are just self-serving. Mm. They just make you better. Everybody's purpose in life, whatever your gift is, if you're a teacher or you're a parent or you're a coach or you have a podcast or you're an artist, whatever your purpose is, involves the giving of your gift to mm. someone else. Okay. So all purpose is centered around the contribution to other people's lives, mm. in my view. Yes, that's the wisdom of life. You you can be very smart and on you can make a lot of money and some people are really good at it and they just make more money and more money and they're happy with it and that's okay. But I I agree that there comes a point in your life where you should do something for other people, not for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you. You you went out of that job. You you started your own thing with YouTube videos, and then it resonated with everybody. And then yeah, I started giving talks at you know some nonprofits and some schools and some conferences. You, and how did you get in there? Mostly from people that I knew. Mm. You know, I basically told them I have a I have a story to tell. Can I can I come talk? I'll do it for free. Nice. You know, do you get do you get nervous? No, I love it. Yes, I can see it in your eyes. Like even over Zoom, it's just like when you start talking, there's a certain, um, I would say aura. It's there's a certain atmosphere around you where you just like you're really good in projecting information and elaborating. I, I really like it. It's good. It's good stuff. Thank you. You're fantastic interviewer and conversationalist but um yeah i think i think like the number one or number two uh, biggest fear that people have in the world is public speaking yes uh i think that there are some crazy statistics out there about like how terrified people are of public speaking yeah but um not you no i i i love it the more people the better it's the the most comfortable And at ease and happy, I feel, is when I'm on a stage in front of five, ten, fifteen people, or five hundred, five thousand people. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, wow. I just—that's when I feel happiest. Yeah. So, what would be your dream speech? Where would you? How many people would you want to talk in front of? Oh man, the more the better. The more. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a, stadium. a football stadium. Sure. Yeah. I don't, yeah uh, you know, event center or something. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you know Tony Robbins. He's a motivational speaker. Okay. He's in front of 60,000 people at his conferences. Wow. You know? Yeah. And mm. he travels all over the world doing it and he's damn good at it. Yeah. Um, Have you met I him? Don't, yeah. 
I've never met him. I've been to a few of his conferences. Mm. I've read his books. I've watched his videos. I don't agree with everything he says. Yeah. Um, but I respect him and I admire him and I look up to him a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you, you, uh, you, you acquiring knowledge and certain opinions and then you build your own identity. Exactly. It's like what, what we said earlier about entertaining an idea without necessarily accepting it. You know, so I listen to everything he has to say because he's sort of the godfather of, of public speaking, the mm. godfather of motivational speaking. You know, he, he's done it all. Yeah. Um, so I listen, I watch his style. I study him. I listen to everything he has to say. And some of it I agree with. And, you know, I, I take what I like and I leave the rest. And then I listen to other speakers and, you know, read all the books I can and uh, acquire as much information as I can. And then I, you know, just, just see what, what resonates me and mm. what rings true in my own experience and what I think is not as applicable. Why do you, um, oh, sorry. It's, it's, it's funny, man, like anybody who gets into this industry of like therapy, counseling, self-help, personal development, the amount of pure unadulterated crap that is out there that is available to the public on all of these different websites and books and media sources is just mind boggling. Mm. I, I will, I'll see people who have hundreds of thousands, millions of followers and subscribers and stuff like that, just spewing crap, just bullshit that is dangerous, mm. you know, and somehow they built a platform. So people eat it up mm. without even like listening to it and, and comparing it against other speakers and you know other sources so oh and then the other thing that drives me crazy is is rich people who become motivational speakers mm. like every everybody and their grandmother who has over 10 million dollars in the bank and they made it from like real estate or from a trust fund or you know from some sort of investment portfolio then the next thing you know they're like doing a world speaking tour talking about like relationships and emotional problems and you know, personal struggles. And it's like, the only reason you're famous is that you're rich. Mm. Why are you giving people advice about their lives? Because you have a lot of money? Yes. So that's a pet peeve of mine. I like it. Why, <laughs> why do you think people need motivation? Why do you think people need motivation? Um, like, you, do you need motivation in your life? Well, I was about to say motivation is the wrong word. Okay. I hate the term motivational speaker. Um, you should change that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oops. And, and the, the thing about motivation is that uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a false premise um, because usually what happens is when you get quote unquote motivated. Yeah something or somebody inspires you and lights a fire inside of you. Yes. And so like you start going to the gym or you start a new diet or you make some sort of change in your life. Yeah. And two weeks later, that fire kind of dies down and you end up right back where you were. It can change. Yes. So, you know, the, the thing of, of being motivated is if you're externally motivated by a speaker or by somebody who, inspires you or, or, or by somebody who sort of pushes you to do something. Yeah. 
if that motivation is not coming internally, mm. then eventually it will die. Yes. It's probably not going to last. Okay. So, so you would need a refresher and a refresher and a refresher. Yes. So that's why I'm not a fan of like the word motivation. Mm. Because, so here's the example that I use. Um, I love to go to the gym. Good. I love, love to exercise. I don't need motivation to go to the gym. Mm. I want to go to the gym. Yes. The guy who gets up at seven o'clock on Saturday mornings and goes golfing with his friends, nobody is forcing him to do that. And nobody's motivating him to wake up at 7 a.m. on the weekends. He wants to do it. Yes. So my sister, for example, hates working out. She needs to be motivated. She needs to be pushed to work out. But she doesn't do it that often because that motivation isn't coming from, isn't coming internally. Mm. It's coming from like, oh, I have to work out so I can get in shape. Yeah, you know, so I can. So the the problem with 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 this idea of being motivated is that it usually dies if it's not coming from something internal. Yeah, it's like so, a New Year's resu resolution. Exactly. Yeah. When you say, "Why do I think people need motivation?" It's not that I think they need motivation. Um, it's that I think they need help discovering what they really want. Mm. They need help creating internal motivation. Mm -hmm. Help setting goals that are right for them, that mm. they create. They need help chasing aspirations and dreams that they have always had, yeah. not that have been imposed upon them by other people. Mm. They need help cultivating their own own values and their own code of con code of conduct mm. you know they don't need me to motivate them to do better or be better or whatever yes they need help building that desire for themselves yeah which is very different a very different thing from being externally motivated you follow me i agree how do you how do you do that and not to spill all the secrets but i mean I know, for example, I'm a guy who gets like in the gym or not in the gym even, but I like, I need a workout a day. Okay. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I, there's no problem for me making an hour time. Like before I, my little one went to bed at 7.30 and I knew we were going to record at nine. So I, my bike is just over there somewhere on the spinner. So mm. I jumped on there. I was on an hour on there and I got off at 8.30, had a quick shower. And then you already texted me, hey. Happening soon. Are you ready? <laughs> and I said yes, yes, yes. Come on. So you see, I I just like I don't have a problem with that. And just like you said, it's like I want to do this, right? So, but now mm, I like that, and I like direct motivation. I like when people tell me do it in a, like on exercise and physical. Mm -hmm. Now, the other part is where you help you... I'm losing my track of thought here a little bit, but I know that some motivation doesn't work for other people. Like right. my direct approach of, do it, will not work with everybody. They would right. actually do the opposite. Right. So you must have... You must, have, you must be very, very good in reading people I, I try. Yeah. Um, I try to find out 
what is going to motivate them and what is not. Yeah. Um, How long does that again, take? Uh, a few sessions. Yeah. Okay. Maybe two or three for me to really learn them and yeah. understand their communication style, understand their background. And sometimes it's even though the person opens up more than they did before, right? Yes. I mean, that helps a lot. The more a person can open up to me, the more I can help them. Yes. Yes. Without a but, but again, you know, it's, it's not about me figuring out how to motivate them. It's me figuring out how to get them to motivate themselves. And once you create your own goals for yourself, and once you decide what you want for yourself, yeah, yeah of course, once in a while, you're going to need a little push. Just like even though I love to work out once in a while, I have to peel my ass out of bed because I'm tired. Sure. Nobody's Superman. Yeah. Do you, um, is it hard for you to write goals down? Like long-term goals? Is it hard for me? Yeah. No, I do it all the time now. Okay. Like how do far do you go? Um, I do what's called a goal pyramid. A goal pyramid is my daily goal is, my weekly goal is, my monthly goal is, my one-year goal is, and my five-year goals are. Okay. So I have a goal that by the end of every day, I want to accomplish this. By the end of every week, I want to accomplish this. Yeah. One month from now, I want to have accomplished this. One year from now, I want to have accomplished X, Y, Z. Within five years from now, I want to have X, Y, Z things. So success for you would be hitting those goals. Yes. Okay. But I'm constantly reiterating my goal pyramid, mm. constantly rewriting and revisiting. Okay. Uh, you, I mean, you have to vis- revisit it at least once a month because you have a once, you have a monthly goal. Mm. So every 30 days, you have to ask yourself, okay, did I hit that goal? So are you okay to say what your monthly goal is? Yeah. Um, my monthly goal has been to have a certain number of clients at any one time yes. every month. Yes. And to hit a certain financial target every month. Good. Um, so, you know, at the end of every month, I say, okay, did I meet that goal? Did I hit those targets? But some months, I have to change my monthly goal. Mm. Because some months I know that it's not going to be possible. I know I'm going to be traveling or, you know, I recently went through a breakup. So for a couple of weeks, I was really sad and yeah. I wasn't able to work and perform as much because I needed to take some time to heal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then I'll, I'll rewrite what my goals are based on what's happening in my life. Um, and also, you know, like with your one year goals, if I write down my, my goals for, November, you know, by November of 2021. Yes. Those are what I, what I want my goals to be according to right now. Mm. But three to six months from now, those goals could be different. It's true. So you have to be able to adapt. Yes. And it doesn't make you stupid to go rewrite your goals. No, no, no. It makes you adaptable. Yes. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. But you can't rewrite them to the point that you never hit them. You know, you can't, rewrite them all the time and then a year passes and you haven't done anything. You yes, know? but your perspective changes. Yes. Let's say um, you have, a, you have an, a local 
aim and then suddenly you expand it just like your right. brain sees things differently mm, that's a right. big that's a big water bottle right there <laughs> i gotta stay hydrated man yes what about you Do you write your goals down i started now yeah i bought this planner because i've i've been booking lots of shows and um i used to just put them in the kitchen on the on the sheet uh-huh. And then I, it's just I had to take it further. And then I bought this planner and there was like long-term goals or goals this month. And it's just like it was really, really hard for me to to write things down mm. because I felt like I felt I felt vulnerable. Yeah, there's a lot of power in writing it down mm-hmm. it's because like, now it's no longer just a thought in your head. It's a commitment. Yeah, it's just, in a way, yes, but it's also like you're putting yourself into this book. Right. And you, it's your own honest you and your goals and what you, what you want to achieve. Right. That's, yeah. That's very, little... sorry, go ahead. No, I just said it can be a little scary. Yes, it is. It's like, I was hesitant. It took me a week and then I wrote things down. And now I like I have a weekly plan week like it's the month's page, the weekly and then long term goals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but it's it's been pretty busy. So I've That's awesome, man. I'm so glad the show's getting traction and everything else is busy and moving forward. Mm. So happy for you. Thank you, Kevin. It's just I sometimes I feel like I want to make more time to to have that time where you can reflect. Yes. Yeah, I think it's, it's very, incredibly it's incredibly important to just spend that time with yourself. Yes, yes, you know? it is. Yes, but I'm glad you have your one hour that you work out every day. Yeah, because that's at least something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to do. <laughs> We're not getting younger over here. <laughs> these uh, these monks who move to to monasteries, they're the entire pursuit of their lives is to know themselves and conquer their minds. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they go move to a monastery in complete silence and peace and celibacy for 20 years and they meditate for eight hours a day wow. so that they can be with themselves and only with themselves and learn who they are and detach themselves from their ego and conquer their mind and overcome their automatic intrusive negative thoughts. Yeah. So like you and I are talking about, you know, spending a little bit more time here and there for self-reflection, but there are people who do that for a living, you know, like that's what they do 24 hours a day. Sure. And, but I don't think it's like life is complex. Like you, like it's easier to sit by yourself for 20 years, maybe than with people. Life gets complex once you have people. I don't know. That's yeah. just my personal opinion. For me, it wouldn't be easier. I would go crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've also never been a monk, so but it's, I'm sure they would. It's easier to exist. Like, Let me bring you down to another example. For example, friendships and relationships. They, they're golden, and then you are going to have kids. Once you have kids... Mm-hmm. You, your marriage or your relationship will reveal if it's going to hold through. It's a game changer. Mm. So I find, yes, it is important to know who you are and self-awareness, very much so. 
But 20 years is a long time. I think yeah. I think the most things I learn are from people that I gain and engage with on so many different levels. Like you, Kevin, like like my kids. My kids are the greatest teacher. <laughs> well, this is interesting to me because I've never been never been married. Mm. Uh, you're you're saying that the strength of your marriage gets tested when you have children. For sure. And in your case, did it make your marriage stronger? Did it test your marriage? Did it make you think we weren't, you weren't going to survive this? You know, what, how, how did it go for you? There's good days and there's bad days, you know? And with kids, you, as a couple, as two people, you really have to bring it together. And it's easier if both can are able to, I wouldn't say sacrifice, but compromise. With each other. Yes. Yeah, with mm-hmm. certain aspects of opinions about parenting or life choices. It's easier always to to work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know it may not always be easier to work together, but you have to. It's necessary. Maybe. I think it's easier to work together because if it's because it's more complicated to break up. Uh uh yes, yes. Yeah. As, yeah. Yeah, and it's also a better choice. You know, when it gets hard and difficult, within reason, everybody has to make their own choice, but you know, that's where again I see opportunities. Mhm. Yeah. So what is it what about having what which aspects of of a marriage are challenged by having children? Is it that you no longer have time to spend with your significant other? Is it that you no longer have the freedom and flexibility of your own schedule? You know, what is it about having kids that challenges the, the marriage? There's another person in the household. It's not anymore just you and your partner. So sharing space. That's like the, that's like the ultimate, um, easy answer. (whistles) Oh, what was that? And it's just like the, that's, Sorry about that. That's all good. That's that's pretty much it. That's like the easy way to say what changes. There's one more human being. And that's why I think, again, bringing back to the monk, when you just work on yourself, it's easier than when you have relationships and people involved. Mm. It starts to get more complex. Fascinating. Yeah. Your it, next it, on the show will be a monk. <laughs> you bring yeah can you connect me with him please <laughs> i don't know any but i can try yeah, yeah. yeah. now everybody makes their choices you know that's the beauty of it everybody wants to do with their lives what they want to do yes and it's it's okay if you, i'm fine with that and i say that i always say that you know 20 percent of the time we are the product of our circumstances and everybody has bad luck and you know there are certain forces that are beyond our control shit happens yes shit happens <laughs> but 80 percent of the time we're not the product of our circumstances we're the product of our choices mm-hmm. and what you said is you know the beauty of it is everybody can make their choices and they get to make whatever choices they want but those choices have consequences good bad or otherwise yes um and I was never taught that I'm the product of my choices. Mm. You know, 
Nobody ever sat me down and said, you're not going to be ultimately in the final analysis, the product of your circumstances. You're going to be the product of the decisions that you make. So make better decisions because they will create your life. Mm -hmm. So now every time I make a decision, I never see it as neutral. You know, I always see it as this decision either moves my life forward or it moves my life backward. Mm. It either gets me closer to a goal or farther away from a goal. You know, so if, if decisions have that power to create our lives, then they are rarely neutral. Mm. And I'm talking about important decisions. I'm not talking about like washing the dishes, you know, decision, you know, talking about like the things that, that really matter, the choices that we make, determine the quality of our lives and and determine where we end up. Mm. You know, that's why some people end up on top and other people end up in jail. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it, so much of it comes down to the choices that we make. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know that right at the time. No, you don't. Mm -hmm. And we're also rarely taught the concept of personal responsibility, you know, which is that, whatever decision that you make and whatever happens to you in your life, whether it's your fault or it's not, whether it was caused by you or not, you are responsible mm -hmm. because nobody's going to clean up the mess for you. Yeah. There's no magic genie with a bottle that comes down and grants you your three wishes. Mm -hmm. It's on you, man. You know, <laughs> your mama's not going to be there to, to make the bed for you. You yeah. got, you have. Yeah. Did you always make your own bed or were your parents like pretty much helping you a lot or were they more encouraging independence? Um, they, no, I mean, when I was a kid that they, you know, sometimes I would make my bed, sometimes they would make it, you know, sometimes we would have a helper in the house, like a nanny who would make it, sure. you know, we talking about the bed, but no, they encouraged independence. We always had jobs, you yes. know, they wanted to pay for our own things and stuff like that. Mm. But You know, still, nobody ever taught me what it means to be extremely personally accountable. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever sat me down and said, whatever happens to you in your life, you are going to have to pay the consequences. Mm. You can't be a victim. You can't be entitled to other people's assistance. It's going to be on you. Yeah. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. That was a really, really hard pill for me to swallow that I had to learn through experience, mm. you know? Um, and and that's, that's why people stay stuck where they are for so many years. That's why people are, 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 don't move forward because they have this victim mentality. I'm the victim of my circumstances. Mm. Everything has happened to me. It's everybody else's fault. Mm. You know, I didn't create this. Why should I have to clean it up? Well, Because nobody else is going to. Mm -hmm. So you either stay stuck in aisle five where there's majorly needs a cleanup, you know, either you stay stuck there with everything dirty around you, or you get the, you know, the figurative broom and mop and clean it up and, mm. you know, move forward. Yeah. It's, it's on you. Do you think that's something that should be like taught in high school or something? Yes. I do. I think that we would have 
a society in which people make much better decisions. Mm. If they learn that. Yeah. Um, I think that what we are taught is that we're the product of our circumstances and that we don't have the, the power to change our lives and that, you know, whatever situation you were born into is kind of how it is, mm. you know, I don't think that we're, we're liberated to make better choices. Have you always been very confident, Kevin? No. Okay. How did you? No, I was incredibly insecure. I was always outwardly confident projecting, but I was never authentically confident mm. until I overcame, you know, my struggles. Okay. Um, I was always very insecure. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. What helped you to to realize that potential, the, the confidence? Being, first of all, um, overcoming adversity, overcoming my own battles. When you overcome, when you, when you face and overcome your own challenges, it gives you a sense of confidence like no other because it's like whatever comes my way, I can handle it. Mm. I've been through worse shit, you know? Yeah. It gives you a really authentic foundation of self-esteem because you know that I've already overcome that. You know, if I have to deal with another challenge in my life, that's okay. Mm. So that's the first thing. The second thing I, I, I would say is, is learning and understanding and accepting who you are. You know, not fighting who you are and not trying to be something else. Was that easy for you? No. It took me many, many years. Yeah. Uh, a perfect example is that when I'm in relationships with women, I'm, I'm very attached. I'm very emotional. I'm very tender. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. Um, I pick up on everything. For so many years, I tried to be like this macho kind of like bad boy who didn't care and, mm. you know, with girls and, you know, I wanted to call them the next day, but I would like try not to, but then I would end up calling them anyway You know, I was like trying to fight who I am, mm. you know? Yes. So many years to just learn who I am and accept it. Okay. And then the third thing that, that I would say is that when you learn certain things about who you are and you don't like them, you build confidence by changing them. It's kind of like overcoming adversity. You challenge yourself to grow and become better. Mm. So I, I say that self-esteem is built through esteemable acts, okay. right? An esteemable act is something that you are doing to better yourself, mm. right? Something that's good for another person, something that's good for your own growth. So the more of these things that you do, you know, the more you do the right thing, the better you actually feel. You, you, you build your self-esteem through esteemable acts. Mm. So- If your self-esteem is in the tank because you're fat and you set a challenge for yourself to lose a hundred pounds, once you've lost that hundred pounds and you've actually kept it off, that's an esteemable act. And now you have so much confidence that you went through the challenge, you went through the pain, you lost that weight, you managed to completely transform your body. And that gives you an, an incomparable sense of, of, of confidence with yourself because look what you did, look what you're capable of, mm. you know? Yeah. 
I find so, almost like it could, could also be acceptance, right? Of course. That was the second thing I mentioned. Yeah. Because I, I find like... If, if you're fat, you can't sit around and accept yourself for being fat because you, you're not going to be happy. If you define yourself that way. Right. Yes. Right. I don't... If, you know... If that's something that really bothers you... Yes. Yeah. And the way that you look is an important part of your identity, then yeah. yeah, you need to change it in order to feel more confident. Yeah, anything that you are not satisfied with yourself, you can work on. Right. And if you are happy who you are, and no matter what it is, that's okay too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. There are plenty of people who you or me might say that they're quote-unquote fat, mm. but they're perfectly comfortable and happy with their body. Yeah. You know, so, and that's, that's great. It you is. Know? It is. But if that person has something else about themselves that they wish were different or they would like to change, yes. You have to be able to differentiate between when am I challenging a part of who I am mm. that is immutable and not accepting it and fighting myself? And when is there something that I'm actually just afraid to buckle down and do? Yeah. So there are certain things that we have to change about ourselves in order to feel more confident. And there are other things that we have to accept about ourselves in order to feel more confident. Yes. Do you think confidence tops out somewhere? It's like once, do you think you can define that too by 100% confidence? Or do you think confidence is constant evolving? I think it's constantly evolving. Um, and I think that your confidence will be shot by the things that you go through in your life. Mm. You know, you experience a rejection, your confidence is going to go down a little bit. If you experience a loss, your confidence is going to go down a little bit. It's not this pinnacle that once you've climbed Mount Everest, you can say you've climbed Mount Everest. You know, it's, it's, uh, confidence is, you know, comes and goes. So you think you it just, depends you just on the situation? Roller coaster where one okay. day you're incredibly happy and confident and secure and the next day you're your confidence is in the toilet. It's got to be pretty stable yeah. in order to be true and authentic. But yeah, I think it is a, a lifelong work in progress. Do you think social media is a, is, is a big problem on that for people? Yes. I think that social media is the second biggest death of confidence. Uh, the first biggest death of confidence is comparison. <laughs> yes comparing yourself to other people. Mm -hmm. Social media is a perfect vehicle through which to compare yourselves to other people. It's, it's true. So, you know, the combination of making comparisons to your, of, of yourself to other people and spending a lot of time on social media mm. will, will kill any confidence that you have. So what's, what's your game plan on social media? Like for me, I, I try to do... I have a rule where I say, okay, I'm going to spend as much time on social media engaging as I do post. What's, what's your rule? What do, you mean, what do you mean by that? So if I write a post for 10 minutes, I can engage for 10 minutes. Oh, I see. Yeah. But well, because I don't, like, I, don't have, I don't have an hour laying around during the day where I can just keep scrolling, engage, because it's not possible for me. Like I have, like I, I, get, I get messages, I see them, I can't check in them all the time, then I get back to them, and then I drop some likes, and then in, usually in the morning I would post something. 
Ah, I see. So, but like, and then at at a certain time, my phone goes into standby, and I'm I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, but like, how does how do you do that for you? Because you have like your social media is is a nice platform, and you utilize it, right? I utilize it not as I utilize it, but not as much as I used to. Okay, just because I don't like it. Mm. I really enjoy social media. Um, so my rule is that I use my Instagram to post some videos mm. and to chat with people on DM. Okay. Chat with prospective clients, like anybody who listens to this podcast, they're more than welcome to message me yeah. and I will respond within the same day. So I use the chat function and I use the post function. Mm-hmm. But other than that, my rule is I don't look at people's stories I don't really look at the feed mm. every once in a while. I'll respond to someone's story every once in a while. I'll res- I'll write a comment if it pops up and it just happens to be there, but I don't spend unless I'm posting or responding to someone's message. Yeah. I don't spend more than three minutes actually looking at the thing. Cool. How did you, yeah. how did you find me? Um, I found you through my business coach. Oh, Yeah. So I have a business coach who, uh, helps me grow my business and, Mm. uh, you know, helps me reach out to people and connect with different people who are sort of in the, you know, doing cool things in the mental health space, whether that's podcasting or writing or whatever they might do. Um, and, and he just shot me a message and said, this guy looks like he has an awesome podcast. Mm. See if he would be up for having you on as a guest. Yeah. It's so funny. It's like you, it's like you sent me the message and I was like, hmm, because I had this, I always had this very strict rule that this podcast would be only in person, you know? So I, I limit myself that way. You break your rule, man. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, I, I thought about this for a while and then, because I don't think I got back to you right away. Like it took me a couple of days. Yeah. Because I really, I was really thinking about it. And mm. then I said, you know what? This is an opportunity. <laughs> but it took me so long. And it's like, this is where, that's where, that's the moment of goals changing or perspective changing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm thank so glad you. I, I feel honored. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I, Am I your first, in, uh, I mean, virtual guest? On this show, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. Because I always... I limited myself in my perception that I can only talk to people and get a really good connection to people and feel them only if they would sit in the studio. Mm-hmm. And now I've now Joe Rogan, obviously everybody knows him, and he he lately has done more remotely shows than ever. And you know, I always I listened to a couple of them and it threw me off. And now I'm getting used to it. And I know the world is changing too, so I, I'm good. good. Awesome. <laughs> Long story short, he um, he also used to do all of his interviews, his podcast interviews here in LA because he lived in LA. Yeah. And, you know, all of these famous people that he was interviewing were constantly stopping in and out of LA because it's a destination. True. But he moved to Texas. Yeah. So I think Texas is probably less of a destination. So he has to do them more virtually. Plus with COVID. Mm. So, yeah. But, I thought it's do, do COVID, I guess. I thought. 
Yeah. And, and I do think you can have a better connection with somebody when you're in person mm. than virtually. You know, I used to do all of my client sessions in person. Now, due to COVID, I do almost all of them via Zoom. Yes. You know, and that does take a little bit away, you know, take takes the magic away a little bit mm. of that in-person connection. But, you know, as you said, the world is is changing and we have to be able to adapt. Yes, it is. It's fascinating. I love it. Yeah. So how how's Los Angeles today? After the vote, is everything going little, okay? Yeah. Um, I think that if Trump had won, there would have been major riots in the streets. Um, and, you know, Antifa and, and looters and rioters and everything would be like going nuts yeah. and setting stuff on fire. But I think the fact that Biden won uh, made it a little bit more peaceful. We haven't had any riots, fortunately. Mm. It was a pretty... Uh, We were pretty pretty afraid there for a few days, man. Yeah, it took a couple of days, right? Yeah. Mm. Is are the, all the boards are back down? The shops are open? No, a lot of places are still boarded up. Okay, wow. We also don't know what's going to happen with the election because Joe Biden is the president-elect, but Trump has not stepped down and doesn't seem like he has any plans to step down. Mm. So, pretty pretty crazy to imagine what could happen yeah do, do you like when you when you live there right now and you you see what's happening how does it make you feel um not proud to be an american mm. i mean i'm proud to be an american in the sense that america is a land of opportunity and freedom and you know, has all kinds of really incredible things that other countries don't. For sure. You know, but seeing the shit show that our country has become, yeah. especially politically, is, you know, pretty embarrassing. Mm. And having Trump as our president kind of made us the laughing stock of the world. Mm. Um, I don't think that other Western countries really respect America very much, mm. which was the opposite of what he wanted to do. He wanted to make America great again. Yeah. And make us these leaders in the eyes of other nations and stuff like that. And unfortunately, I don't think we hit that goal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what's your perception of Americans? I've never been. I've okay. never, I've never, I've, I think I, I've met travelers or uh, Americans and, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who, who tries to accept everybody. Mm. So, um, there, sometimes it's, a, sometimes countries go through tougher times and sometimes it's easier. I tried to see the bigger picture where, you know, there was, it was Obama and it like everything, there was a lot of change and opening up and then there was Trump <laughs> and it changed. But I yeah. mean, we don't know yet, right? We, we're making history, history right now. We are literally driving the train as we are laying the tracks. Yes. <laughs> so we will see. I'm, I'm glad so far, you know, you, you guys didn't have the riots. Thank you, man. And, you know, my dream is always to go down to California. I always wanted to go. Please come. Yeah. Please come. I, I, when you come, please come visit me and we'll have a 
a coffee and a conversation in person. Mm. I think just the, what what it stands for the freedom, right? There's a there's a lot there's a there's a strong identity with that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yes, and I I like that perspective. Yeah, and end. I, I think one of the reasons that COVID has been so hard for Americans is not not only that our numbers are so high, yeah, and of course that's devastating to you know families of loved ones you know who lose loved ones, but the reason it's so it's been so um, devastating culturally is that in American culture we value freedom yes. and individualism over sort of collective cultural identity yes for better or worse some people will say that's great some people will say that makes us arrogant mm. whatever your perspective is the the fact is that you know america stands for individual freedom and covid has been the antithesis of individual freedom mm. because now you got to wear a mask you have you can't go anywhere you can't do anything you got to stay locked in your house like it has sort of felt like this big brother um kind of communist regime with the lockdowns and stuff, at least in like Los Angeles, yeah. you know, other places in America don't have not experienced the same stringent requirements, but it's been really difficult for, for Americans because it has totally challenged our sense of, of what's accessible to us at our fingertips. Yes. And, and I can tell you personally that the freedoms that we have, in America, when we go back to a non-COVID time, I will never take them gra- for granted again. Yes. I will never take for granted again that I can eat inside a restaurant. I can walk inside a supermarket. Mm. I can sit around at a party and not have to worry about it. You know, just the fact that like I'm allowed to do that. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is Los Angeles still in lockdown or is it okay? We are. Still in lockdown, eh? Probably abiding by the lockdown because people have had eight months of lockdown and they're losing their fucking minds. Yeah. Is there big mental... Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Is there big mental support for people? No. No way. There's there's an enormous mental problem for people. Yes. People's anxiety is through the roof. Mm. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their money. Yeah. They can't support their families. You know, their businesses have closed. Wow. Their shops are boarded up. You know, people's mental health right now due to this lockdown is in the toilet. Mm. And again, I'm not passing judgment on that. I'm not a politician. I'm not saying it's good or it's bad. I'm just stating the facts. Yeah. Everybody can make their own judgment about it. But no, I mean, we people are not really abiding by the lockdown as much as they were at first because it was supposed to last two weeks. And here we are eight months later. Wow. Um, but yeah, we are still in a lockdown and there's, there are talks of the lockdown becoming even more stringent. Wow. So what are you allowed to do? Are you allowed to go just like essential trips or? Yeah. Essential trips to the grocery store, you know, to work if you have to work there, Mm. but everybody has sort of been mandated to work from home for the most part. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So you must be a busy man, right? Because you help a lot with anxiety. Yes, thank God I my you know, I'm a busy man and I have clients and there are people out there that I can help, but 
My business also took a hit during COVID because people lost their jobs, so they couldn't afford it anymore. Yes, that's a good point. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't suffered Mm. from this in one way or another. Yeah. You know, but everybody's mental health has suffered. Yes. If only for the fear, if only for, you know, the paranoia of, I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get my kid, my kids to get sick. You know, even that is a form of, you know, suffering mentally, but that's a mild version. The extreme version is people who have been so socially isolated that they're committing suicide. Yes. And, you know, suicide rates have shot up in the last six months astronomically. Wow. So it's really terrible, man. But yeah, people need support. They'll, they'll choose to believe that brighter days are on the horizon and mm-hmm. we're all going to be okay. Yeah. Do you feel like leaving Los Angeles? Um, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier before we recorded, but I wanted to ask you one more time. Yeah, I do. If all of my family and friends weren't here, I would leave. Mm-hmm. You know, I was born and raised here. My roots are here. Everybody I know is here. But it has become such a crazy place to live, so expensive. And I mean, you should still visit it. There's still all kinds of beautiful things about it that I love and appreciate. But yeah, man, it's uh, if if everybody that I knew and loved wasn't here, I would I would probably pick up and try something new. Where would you go? Somewhere quiet. Mm, the mountains. Maybe the mountains would be a little too isolated for me. <laughs> but, you know, maybe one of the suburbs. Okay. The outskirts of LA. Ah, okay, so close. Yeah, maybe mm. you know, one or two hour drive away. Just somewhere where there are fewer people, it's less congested. I can, you know, have yeah. more peace. Yes. Not as expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you live? You live in a suburb? Uh, well, it's classified as a city. So it's called Thun- okay. Thunder Bay, and it's like 100,000 people. So that, okay. would, that would be like a village for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's 100,000 people in my neighborhood. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. But, you know. There's 100,000 people within a three-mile radius of my house. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the most, it's like more overpopulated in L.A. than it is in China. Mm. It's nuts. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's the way the cities are designed, right? Yeah. Yeah. But still, please come. Come visit. Yeah. Once the world is back to normal, we I, I I really want to do a road trip. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really want to drive because Down I think... Down San Francisco. Yeah, I would love to drive it. Awesome. Yeah, My grandpa always wanted to drive the Route 66 on a motorbike. Ah, you yeah. drive a bike? You ride a bike? No, no, no. No. I'm, I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be too dangerous for me. Yeah, you got kids now. Yeah, your, a, your time for living dangerously has expired. It is. Now I just bike on the bicycle. Right, right. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, so what would you what would you tell people right now? How can they when they have a rough time? What helps the mind to find balance? First of all, reach out to me. Don't mm. do it alone. Yeah. If you're drowning in the ocean and I send you a life jacket, I throw you a life jacket, you're not going to throw it behind you and say, no, I can do this alone. Mm. Reach out. Get some support. That's the first thing. Yes. 
I tell people all the time, message me. I will respond. I will be there to help you. Please take me up on this offer because I'm here. Mm. That's so- Second thing is meditate every day. Don't just do it once. One time is not going to help you. Just like doing one workout is not going to make you lose five pounds. Meditate every day, even if it's only for five, ten minutes a day. Do it for at least two weeks, you know, two to three weeks. That will help you feel a lot more at ease, a lot more peaceful, a lot more balanced, a lot more grounded. What What do you do with your meditation, Kevin? Um, I do something called Vedic meditation, which is a 20-minute meditation twice a day. But anything works. YouTube guided meditations, Calm, Headspace, any of the other apps. Mm. The best, you know, the only bad meditation is one that you don't do. That's a good one. Do something, yeah. you know. Um, do you visualize? Or do you like program yourself? Or how do you do it? Are you breathing? No. Um, my meditation is just allowing all thoughts to come in and subsequently letting them go. Okay. So I don't visualize. I don't breathe. I don't attach to any one thought. Mm. I just allow them all to come. And my meditation is mantra based. So I repeat a mantra. Nice. Um, but there are many, many different types of meditations and they're all great. Yeah. Um, And, you know, if you're having a really hard time, don't isolate yourself. Spend time with people, exercise, lots of self-care. Yeah. You know, the most important thing is don't exacerbate your issue. So if you're going through a bad breakup, don't keep looking at the Instagram of the person who dumped you. You know, if, um, if you keep having a fight with a friend you know, don't keep fighting with that friend. Take some space from that, that friend. Don't go to the source of the problem looking for a solution. Mm. You know, whatever the challenge is in your life, don't go back to the source of the problem looking for a solution because you can't heal in the same environment that made you sick in the first place. Yeah. You know, so, so separate yourself, remove yourself, and um, lots of self-care. Mm. Yeah, and reach out to people, right? Yes. People are your biggest ally. They are your biggest vaccine, your biggest medicine, you know, mm. when you're going through a hard time is other people who you love and who care for you and who you trust. Yeah. Just don't go through it alone. That's amazing that you have that ability and you share your knowledge and that you 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 tell people to reach out to you and you say that you're going to get back to them. hundred mm. percent. Thank you. Yeah. You know, that's what we need. We need people like you. But I hope your listeners will take this as a challenge because whenever I say this to people, you'd be surprised. It's like 0.01% actually do it. Yeah. And it's always amazing to me how people have so many problems in their life. And I tell them, look, I will sit there and I will talk to you for, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever, for free. Yeah. You know, I will be there for you. And then they just don't do it. Mm. I think so, it's, I think people are afraid to be vulnerable. Very much so. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Would you rather stay stuck where you are because you're afraid to be vulnerable and afraid of something changing? You know, or would you take the leap? Would you rather take the leap of faith? 
I I believe in I believe always in speaking about it. Whatever mm -hmm. is on your mind, it's good to speak to someone. Yes, yeah. not, not just hold it in. No, if you bottle it up, it's just gonna. It's it's not good. It's good to when you're ready, you need to. And not even if you. I would say even if you think you're not ready, just go with it. Just go with the flow. Hundred percent. Yeah, open up, and you know, sometimes it's also helpful if you don't. If you don't know the person. Yeah, because they're not judging you. Yes. You know? Yeah. And people only have to share with me what they want to. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm never going to push them. Yeah. I'm never going to judge them. I'm no saint, man. Mm -hmm. I've made so many mistakes in my life. You know, far be it for me to judge anybody. I'm yeah. only here to help and listen and support. And you're a good listener, right? I try to be. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think, what do you think? Is listening more important than speaking? I think it depends, you know, what, what your position is. Mm. I think most of the time listening is more important than speaking. But I think if you have something really important to contribute, then you're doing others a disservice if you don't speak up. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm a speaker, so I speak a lot. But I wouldn't be able to speak if I hadn't spent so many years listening to other people and learning from them, learning what their problems are. Mm. So now before I ever open my, my mouth, I really try to, I really try to listen. Yes. I can listening see that. Understand. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to, what, where do you see yourself in a certain time period? I, I let you decide what, how you want to define that time period. God willing, I see myself growing my business, taking on more and more clients, speaking to larger and larger audiences, um, you know, and just growing what I'm doing now, mm. just getting to a larger level, you know, having, having, uh, more people subscribe, you know, to my channels and listen to what I have to say. And, you know, hopefully I can help them. My, my, my mission is to help as many people as I possibly can. So mm. I'm stay persistent. I'm going to stay committed and, you know, try to continue giving my gift. Yeah. This is you. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm very lucky. So you, you said you're on YouTube too, right? Yeah, I'm on YouTube. I don't just don't use it much. Okay. Um, I use mostly Instagram. So that's the best place for people to reach out to me. Yes. Okay, I will make sure I link that into the uh, description. Thank you so much, Michael. Do you do you want to do a quick shout out where people like beside yeah, of that? It's just my name, Kevin Nahai, um, K E V I N N A H A I. Mm. You know, follow me, send me a message. I'll always respond. I'll always be there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thank you, thank you for having me on. Thank you for. You know, it's a fascinating conversation. The time went by so quickly, I didn't even realize. Mm, it's beautiful. And, uh, really appreciate you, Michael. Kevin, there's not many words that I can... Like, there's no words to say um, what I'm impressed with where you say, hey, just text me or just reach out to me and I will get back to you. I have huge respect for that because I know everybody's life is busy. You have a life. But you you put yourself out there and you you ask for people to reach out to you because you want to help. 
thousand percent. It's absolutely amazing. True. Thank you. And um, I wish you all the best. And I, I know the connection I have with you and speaking to you, I can really feel that the speaking and like everything coming together is really good for you. Thank you. I Thank like you it. So much. I love being on your podcast. I hope we can do another episode soon. Sure. And yeah. Thank you for having me on. Okay. Really appreciate it. Kevin, you stay safe over there, okay? Okay. You too. God bless you. <laughs> okay. I wish you all the very best. Okay. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.